Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about MSU's upcoming game against the Illinois Fighting Illini at the Breslin on Saturday afternoon. Just a reminder that if you're looking for ways to support the show, head on over to our support page at tffinots.com support to find the necessary links for recurring and one-time gifts. Also a way to link with our sponsors. Quick word of thanks for all of you who support the show via one-time gifts and recurring basis. Special thanks especially to Patreon supporters of the Mateen Cleese level, Bill Church, Brian O'Donnell, and Chad Hickey. Draymond Green supporters, Adam Walzak, Dan Rankin, James Benton, Jim L., Michael Bosnick, Paul Marsh, and Scott Driscoll, as well as Rich Wagner and Kenneth Kremet on Substack. Okay, so let's talk about the game against the Illini as MSU looks to recover from their poor free throw shooting in Minneapolis. The Illini are 17-5 overall in the season, 8-3 in the Big Ten. They're ranked 9th in Ken Palm and 14th in the net, and in position for a top ten, top four seed in the tournament. Uh, the Illini now have Terrence Shannon back after he... Uh, missed several games because of the uh, rape allegations, charges, and uh, had a temporary restraining order. I think that's what it was with from the judge in Illinois, uh, which is interesting that that sort of that now there there's an economic, you know, benefit to being on the team, so that the courts are more likely to get involved in these sorts of things that before was just sort of well, peripheral, right? That's an interesting, that's an interesting thought, and honestly, I'm I'm glad you raised that because I hadn't. I hadn't really thought about that, and and I didn't wade in too deeply, or frankly at all, other than reading <laughs> the headlines, as to what the rationale was. But you make an interesting point. Historically, courts are loath to, as they see it, interfere with the actions of a private entity or this isn't a private entity per se, but you get my point. It's a non-governmental entity. Sure, yeah. In the case of the University of Illinois, um, they're loath to do that in this context, in in terms of issuing um, TROs. Uh, the, the preference is to let things play out within the legal system. That's historically how it's been. Mm-hmm. But in in terms of this kind of thing, you are, well, that's an interesting point because I wonder how his NIL worked. Right. Um, were those agreements in place um, such that if he is suspended and not playing, he's no longer entitled to compensation? Don't know. With those agreements are not public, we have no idea what they look like. Um, but if they are, and that would be that would be something beyond what it historically has been in terms of a um 
a cost to the person requesting the, the person moving right. for a temporary restraining order to be issued. Um, so that's an interesting point. I, I actually hadn't thought about that aspect to this. It may or, again, I didn't read the order, so it may or may not have been a factor, but it's something worth keeping in mind as we move into the future, which clearly and more clearly every single day um, is involving even more levels of compensation for student athletes. Yeah. And you imagine too, uh, on some level, if the, even if the NIL is not involved, you could certainly make an economic argument as a representative of the player that there's a significant uh, loss of potential future income. I mean, it, it's a, it's a lot stronger argument, I think, than in the past before just, you know, as long as you're going to school, they say, well, you got your scholarship, you're still getting your education. That's the main compensation for playing on this you know, team. And this is a disciplinary action based on legal actions that occurred outside the off campus. But you wonder in the future if you try to suspend a player, if there's, you know, without any contract or employment sort of guide rails or guardrails as far as, you know, what's allowable. Well, you know, what is going to be okay? What can people challenge in court and those sorts of things? I, it, it, I mean, well, that's exactly what happened here. This was, this was a university policy that was, was used right. um, to suspend him uh, because of the criminal action that had been, that had been brought by uh, the prosecutor in Lawrence. And um, so that's exactly what it was. Now the, you're right. This is an example. It's not the first one. We've had these kind of attempts even before NIL sure. to overturn suspensions. Um, I, I'm I'm less I'm I'm less sympathetic, or let's put it this way: I think courts would be less sympathetic just to the idea, just in general, that suspending a player is um, a sufficient economic harm to warrant the issuing of a TRO. Mm-hmm. Um, just in and of itself, I think when you're attaching actual tangible money to it, that's something different. Um, but all of this is, and it's not something we've spent time talking about here as we're in this, we're in season, we're in this game to game mode. But um, I posted about it a little bit on the Spartan Mag board um, and a little bit on our, our, uh, our Twitter account. But if you don't think that employment is coming soon, maybe even sooner than I thought. Um, you're you're not paying attention yeah. to the realities. We've had we we had last week we had the Big Ten and SEC announce this joint committee, which is contemplating the future of uh, presumably at the very least um, uh, revenue sport athletics. And it's just those two conferences. So the Big 12 and the ACC, never mind the smaller leagues, aren't, weren't asked to join. Mm-hmm. So that was the first tell. Then you had this court decision uh, relating to Dartmouth that was, well, it wasn't a court decision, actually. I think it was um, something before the National uh, National Labor Relations Board, okay. I believe, um, that in fact, deem, or it may have been a court decision related to a complaint submitted to the NLRB. But regardless, definitionally, Dartmouth's athletes are now considered employees. Now, what's interesting about that is that Dartmouth 
like the rest of the Ivy League, doesn't even give out athletic scholarships, <laughs> um, and they're and they're defining them as employees. So um, the writing is on the wall, people. This is coming, and it, to me, it looks like it's coming faster. And I, I'll say this, and then get off my soapbox because we'll have plenty <laughs> of time to talk about this in the off season. Yeah. But if you are bothered by the chaotic situation that we have currently in uh, major collegiate athletics and the revenue sports in particular, where it's essentially wide open free agency. We now have had, during the course of this season, we've had a court strike down the ability of the NCAA to restrict transfers to one-time transfers without a hardship ruling. Mm -hmm. So now, as it stands now, you could transfer every year. Yeah. The NCAA can put some limitations on that in terms of the timing that's required, but it, the ability to do it has to be there now. So it is literal free agency, open free agency, no restrictions. If you dislike that, and by the way, if you do, you're joined by pretty much every coach and athletic administrator <laughs> out there. They don't like it either. Yeah. Um, you should actually be pulling for some type of system that permits uh, athletes to be classified and treated as employees. Because with that will come contracts, either collectively bargained ones or non-collectively bargained ones. But there will be contracts, there will be a system in place, and that system will serve to reimpose some semblance of order in exchange for compensation. That's how it works. Yep. Yeah, and I think we'll definitely get into this. You know, we've we've been sort of challenged with what we're going to talk about in the summers. I think there's no question this is going to be something we'll we'll have a lot of opportunities to explore. You know, maybe bring our friend Jay Billis back on too. I think to talk about this. I was going to say, yeah. I can't count the number of times since we did that episode <laughs> that I have recommended people in the course of discussions listen to it. And I'm not saying that because I think that we brought so much wisdom to it, although I, I think we held our, our end up in that discussion, to be quite honest, but mostly because Jay Billis is as informed and passionate a media figure as I know of on these issues. And the informed part is really important. Yeah. Um, and and I would, I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to do... Uh, another conversation with him this off season. We'll, we'll see, but you know that listeners, we will be trying to do that for sure. Cause I think, I think between now, whenever that would come, probably, you know, July sometime in there, there's, there's going to be more news. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's not going to, this isn't going to be static. And so it will be appropriate with a year or more having unfolded since that last conversation, it'll be high time for an update, but regardless we're going to be talking about yeah. it. There, there's no question. And I, and I would one more thought, and then we can move back to Illinois. I think that um, the one thing that I'm still concerned about, Jay did not seem to be particularly worried about it. I am, at least until I see that it's not a threat, has to do with basketball mm -hmm. and specific the NCAA tournament. Because that that's the part of this that I can see getting screwed up 
in whatever this process is going to be. And, And what I mean by that is we're going to have a relative handful of schools. So currently we've got whatever it is, 363, 365, whatever the number is of schools playing division one basketball, right? Right. Um, there is a chance that we will soon have a new organization other than the NCAA governing in some fashion, the athletic activity of, I would guess a maximum of about 40 schools somewhere in there. Sure. You know, 20, 30, 40, it's going to be something like that. And I I think the question of how the NCAA tournament would function in a world where that kind of entity exists is an open question. And it is one that concerns me. It concerns me not just because I like the tournament as it is, but because I recognize the tournament is by leaps and bounds the most important thing that college basketball has going for it as a sport and i'm sorry but the idea of 40 schools competing with each other for a championship where that's all you've got that's your universe um will not have will not be the attraction that the current ncaa tournament is it just won't be yeah not very interesting and and i said uh, yeah, and I, I think that's the thing I worry about. But anyway, we got a lot of time to discuss that in the months ahead. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be working on that. Uh, so let's get on talking about the Illini they're, and go over the stats. They're seventh on offense, and they're ranked 30th on defense. Offensively, they're a great offensive rebounding team at ranking 15th. Uh, they're not exceptional in any other area besides that, but they're very good in about everything else. They're 85th in turnover yeah. percentage. They're 53rd from twos. They're 123rd from free throw attempts to field goal attempts. So they get the line a ton, but they shoot fairly well. 72.3%. It's okay. Uh, they don't shoot the th- good enough to win a game in Minneapolis. <laughs> they'd win, they'd that, win that game by six. <laughs> the worst, uh, yeah. the worst for them is the three point shooting where they're uh, 33.9%, but that's not, you know, atrocious. We've seen much worse teams, obviously than that. Uh, defense defensively. They're very good against the twos at 15th. They don't get a whole lot of blocks in 183rd block percentage. Very good against threes, 97th in percentage, but also number eight in limiting attempts. Very good defensive rebounding team at 47th. They don't foul a whole lot at number nine for allowing free throw attempts, for field goal attempts, turn opponents into one-on-one scorers. So not a lot of uh, movement. So the one thing they don't do, they don't generate yeah. many turnovers. Uh, they don't force them. Right. Uh, they just don't, they just play solid defense. And, um, you know, th- those numbers, seventh in offense and 30th in defense are obviously numbers that are consistent with some a team that can make a run all the way to the championship yeah i think it gets some again now there are people that will differ with that there's you know you see various looks at this like what do all the national champions of the last 10 years have in common <laughs> and th- their defensive number may not quite add up on that level but i gotta Season's tell you not over <laughs> when i look at that when it, well it's not over and when i look at the individual components of their defense it's kind of hard for me to understand why they're only ranked 30th because they're pretty damn good in everything except they don't make the big plays. They don't block shots and they don't they don't generate turnovers. So that's really it. But when you look, so three-point shooting, for example, they're pretty good at limiting the, the success percentage of opponents, but they're elite at limiting the attempts. 
So you put those two things together, it's like, wow, that's, you know, it's tough to get much going from three against them. And then you look at them, they're 15th in the country against twos, right? Mm -hmm. Despite not having much of a shot blocking presence. I think this is what it comes down to on defense. They are a very big team. Yeah. They don't have, in some ways, they're not as big as we had seen them in the past when you think about recent Illinois teams. They don't have that Coburn-type presence in, in the middle, certainly, taking up all that space. But you have Coleman Hawkins at 6'11", and then everybody else is like 6'5 to 6'7", the other four guys. So when you look at that on a five-position basis, that's a that's a long team. And I think that's what's really helped them. They've got guys who are pretty good athletes at that size, and they're long. So it's hard to get good looks against that team. And that's really what Illinois has become. It's a total shift, as we've touched on before, <laughs> uh, from the way Brad Underwood played defense when he first got there. And you look at them now, you say, boy, that is um, – that is what a good Big Ten defensive team looks like. And they are. Offensively, um, you know, it's interesting. There, as as you mentioned, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, those who are familiar with Ken Palm know that the areas where you're really good are green and then they kind of like a bright green. And then as you move into the middle of the pack, it turns a pale color, and then as you're moving toward the bottom end. It's various shades of red until you get flaming red when you're just awful. <laughs> and they don't have much at all in the red column. Um, the, the one thing I would say, and we'll touch on this when we start talking about some of the individual players, the three-point shooting looks okay right now, 34% basically. Not great, not a disaster, and better than it was a year ago when it was a real weakness. Mm -hmm. However, it's been trending the wrong way, particularly with a couple of their best shooters. Terrence Shannon and, and Harmon off their bench have not been shooting very well lately. We'll, we'll talk about it in a little more details and move into the individuals. But that's, that's the one thing, if I were an Illinois fan, that I'd be looking at right now with a little bit of concern and say, boy, you'd really like to arrest that recent slump quickly and get that turned. And again, doesn't mean they need to be 40% plus, but just... Stay steady in the mid to high 30s, and and then you're really cooking with something because they're very good inside the arc. Um, they don't make a ton of mistakes. They don't kick the ball around a lot, and they they rebound well offensively for sure. So all those other elements are are kind of in place. You know the thing that uh, people have been talking about with regard to Illinois lately. You mentioned it with regard to the defense, but it applies at both ends. Illinois is, and I'll give credit to Brad Underwood. I know I don't like to do that. Longtime <laughs> listeners know that. Been very critical of him. But I will give him credit on this front. I thought the lack of a point guard was going to be a major issue for them this year. I still think it might be when push comes to shove. We'll we'll see in March, because truthfully, where he has this program right now. He's had plenty of regular season success. That March is where he hasn't done anything yeah. yet. I mean, zero. He makes Matt Painter look like John Wood, <laughs> at, at least since he's been at Illinois. Um, he had a little bit of success before that. But 
Um, the way he's compensated for that is Illinois, more than any other team in the Big Ten, is playing what is very loosely referred to as NBA basketball. So what does that mean? What that means for them and for a lot of NBA teams too, I wouldn't say everybody, but but a lot of teams, is it's about matchup hunting and um, winning one-on-one battles, right? So they're not a team that ranks very highly the way Michigan State does in assists to made field goals. That's not really their game. And if you look at their team, they've got a few guys that are on the plus end of assists versus turnovers, but they don't have anybody that's really near a two-to-one ratio. So they don't really depend on that. What they've done is they figured out how to get matchups that they think they can exploit. That's what they're hunting. And then go exploit them. Go win a one-on-one battle. So, you know, to some extent, they've done that via what Underwood dubbed booty ball. They use Marcus <laughs> Domas yeah. as as a, a prime element in that, where you get somebody kind of on your back and you just back them in till you're you're in position to either score or find somebody else if help comes for for an open shot. Um, they've done some of that, but um, they've done it with a lot of guys. I mean, if you remember that first game of Michigan State, Michigan State did what a lot of people were trying. They're doing it less now, in my observation, with Ty Rogers. They were playing a five-man on Ty Rogers yeah. because they figured, well, this guy can't hurt us with the jumper. He doesn't take threes, and he doesn't. He doesn't even tend to take long twos. The problem with that is he's gotten to be very good at going off the dribble and finishing at the rim, and he torched Michigan State yeah. in that respect. So that's another example where they were hunting a matchup and then said to that player, here you go, go take him, and he does. You know, Terrence Shannon certainly capable of doing that, you know. they've So that's mitigated what I thought was a pretty significant weakness, and I got to give credit to Underwood. I didn't really see that coming. I don't think many people did um, to the extent that they've been able to use it. And then on the defensive side, that you look at what opponents are doing against them, and opponents' assist-to-made field goal ratio is very, very low. They're one of the best teams in the country in terms of uh, not allowing that number to be high. They get somewhere around 40%. Well, to put it into perspective, Michigan State averages somewhere in the mid-60s, I right. think. Now, they're a team that does that more than most, but trust me, 40% is a really low number. So what that means is defensively, Illinois is doing what we've seen Maryland and Minnesota do to Michigan State over the last couple games, which is make you into a one-on-one team. And that you know that's worked for them. All right, well, let's go on to the lineups for the Illini. Uh, it's brought to you by the Brothers Jester Gutters and the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. So Brothers Jester Gutters, obviously, they just do gutters. So they are a specialist in only gutter work. They're not going to do your roof. They're not going to try and upsell you, get new windows or anything like that. They're just going to work on your gutters. So if you have problems with your gutters or wonder if you have questions or problems, you have mysterious water pooling in your basement, maybe you just need better gutters and better water clears away from your house or business. Uh, they can repair them. They can clean them out. They can uh, replace them. They can put in heaters in your gutters so you don't get rid of your ice buildup on the on the outside of the gutter. Uh, whatever you need done, the Brothers Adjuster Gutters can do the job for you. They come out. They're professional, very quick, efficient, and great pricing. 
You can, they did my gutters and they did fantastic work. I'd highly recommend them for anyone, whether it's your business or your home. You can find them at the west side of the state in Michigan, uh, around the Grand Rapids area, or you can also find them in the Metro Detroit area. You can find links to that on our support page at thefinalfouronstheschedule.com slash support. And there you can click for a free estimate, 10% off if you mention Final Four when you get in your estimate. Uh, so we'll begin with the starters. Ty Rogers, who just killed Michigan State in the first half of the game in Champaign. As you mentioned, 6'6 sophomore from Saginaw, averaging seven points a game and five and a half rebounds a game. Uh, serves sort of as a nominal point guard. He shoots 52 and zero and 64. Uh, and as you mentioned just a second ago, he's he was just taking Sissoko. I think it felt like it was mostly Sissoko, maybe occasionally Cooper, off the dribble and just kind of blowing by him for layups in that first half. It was Mahdi, and a lot of it happened early. Um, yeah, it, I, I don't think you can play him that way. I just don't think you can. And it, it isn't just MSU. He's Teams were doing that to him for a while because uh, I think there was uh, there were some early signs of success with it, and then he just figured it out, yeah. and it stopped. Um, look, he's another... I. Again, I I really thought there was a concern here that Brad Underwood talking about him playing would be a disaster because he's never been a point guard any point in his, in his um, at least from the point he was 14. I can speak to that um, at any level of basketball. And I just thought, you know, this is a guy I've liked a lot. I've said it here more than once. I think it's a shame that there were influences around him that were just not going to let him become a Michigan State player because I think he's one of these kind of guys that Izzo loves to coach. Um, he's a winning player. He does a lot of things that help you win games. He can rebound. He's a good passer. Um, not a not a point guard, but a good passer. Um, he can defend hellaciously, and he's switchable. He can play a lot of different kinds of players well. The only thing he doesn't do well is shoot. Yeah from range but if you used a guy like that properly he could still contribute to what you do and um i think illinois has found a way you know he brings the ball up a lot he's not really their their primary i think he's second on the team in assists behind domask so domask is the guy who gets more playmaking responsibility but um He's he's managed to really take a, a big step forward this year, and um, hats off to him. And and again, credit—I hate saying it—but credit to Brad <laughs> Underwood for finding a way to make very very positive use out of him. It was not an obvious thing at all to me that this was going to work. We'll then move on to the shortest player on the starting start for the starters for Illinois. Marcus Damask, former Saluki from Southern Illinois. Uh, he is averaging 15.7 points a game, 4.6 rebounds a game, shooting 45, 24, and 88. Over the period where Shannon was out, and it has continued, honestly, since Shannon's come back, I think Damask is their best player. I think he's emerged in that, which again is something I don't think many people saw coming. I think the thought when they got him in the portal was, okay, this is a little bit different kind of player than what they had last year at that position where you remember that that roster just didn't fit together very well. Right. But that he would give them more of a slashing presence. 
He was a good ball handler, good passer. Um, I think they hoped for much better perimeter shooting than they've actually gotten. But I don't think anybody saw him becoming a focal point. And honestly, the main reason that they didn't take the dive I thought they would when Shannon went out is because he stepped up and became the number one option and thrived. And I don't think it's changed since then. Now, again, the three-point shooting, that's not good. No. 24% is rough. And if you can keep him on the perimeter somehow, well, then then you're probably working from an advantage. But he makes it very difficult to do that. Uh, he's, he's just really developed and emerged as a, a key guy on a very, very competitive team. Then we get to Terrence Shannon Jr., 6'7 wing, averaging 20 points a game and 4.1 rebounds a game, shooting 47, 35, and 78. Obviously a really tough matchup. Uh, although if coming back, he's scoring down a little bit since the last five games as he tries to reintegrate himself to the team and shooting only 23% from behind the arc during those games. Yeah, and that's over five games. He's seven for 31. So it, it's still a limited sample, but it's not a tiny one. I think it's fair to say he is not dialed in offensively the way he was before he went out. He was shooting very, very well from three. And so his numbers have taken a little bit of a hit. Um, they, I have to tell you, and, and their record is four and one since he's come back. Yeah. So it's not as if there's been a crisis. But to my eyes, just my perception of it, I don't think they look as cohesive as they did when he was playing at the start of the season or even when he was missing. I think it's just a, it's been a little bit uh, disjointed relative to where they were. Now, obviously, not a huge deal because they've kept winning. <laughs> yeah. The game they lost was in overtime. You know, they've also had to win an overtime game, though. They just did against Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So they haven't been blowing the doors off anybody. Not that that's the standard. You know, this is, you're in the Big Ten. This is Al Davis territory. <laughs> just win, baby. It's all that matters. Yeah. But, I do think there's something to that. I don't think his return has been seamless. Let's put it that way. If they can get back, get him back and the team back to the rhythm that they had at the start of the season, then that's where they want to be. I think that's got to be, you know, they, they still, I'm sure, have thoughts about contending for a Big Ten championship because they're only a game out in the loss yeah. column. But... um but I think the bigger thing, if I were an Illinois fan, is, hey, that's all nice, but job one is by March, have this thing humming again where everybody is fully comfortable in their roles, because I don't think they're quite there right now. He's not. Shannon is not. Right. Well, we see this all the time. People come, leave for injuries and come back, and it just takes a while to sort of get yeah. up to, you know, fit into the team. The team has evolved yeah. and changed since you, you left. Yeah. The good, news, the good news for them is they've got plenty of time to do that. Yeah, month and a half for sure. Uh, then we'll come to Quincy Guerrier, 6'7", Oregon transfer, uh, also played at Syracuse. Uh, another portal addition, obviously, he's averaging 11 points a game and 7.5 and rebounds a game, shooting 47, 33, and 59. Yeah, really good addition, as we said about him last time. He's he's not a great player in any one area, although I would I would suggest that a, a six seven guy averaging seven and a half rebounds a game is pretty damn good. <laughs> uh, he's their top rebounder. But um, 
for the most part, he's a guy, kind of like a, a better shooting version of um, Ty Rogers in a way, in that you can use him in a lot of different ways. He can contribute in a lot of different areas for you. He's not going to wow you with his scoring, but, you know, he can have a game where he puts up 18. You know, he's capable of doing that in the right situation. Uh, obviously, very good rebounder. He's their top rebounder on a good rebounding team. Uh, and he's, again, another versatile defender, can guard a lot of different kinds of guys. So he's been another great addition. I mean, they for as much as I think Underwood really um, screwed it up last year, with the additions he made, it's gone the other direction this year. He's, he's just, he keeps hitting 21, <laughs> you know, at the blackjack table this year. And finally to round up the starting five, Coleman Hawkins, six ten senior averaging 12 points a game and 6.4 rebounds a game shooting 44, 39 and 80. And he's definitely been playing a lot better this year. Uh, I feel like the difference with him is he's always kind of had a tendency to have bad shot selection and just sort of in the wrong moment. Yeah. It seems to be less this year. It's certainly the game that I watched, you know, when they played Michigan State, there weren't as many of those sort of bizarre plays, bad choices. He, he's, he's the other guy besides Damask that I thought really elevated his game when Shannon was out and it's continued. That's the thing. It's not like, oh, Shannon's come back and the whole team's gone to pot. It's not that. The guys who were leading the charge then, which were primarily Domask and, and Hawkins, in my opinion, have continued to play well. It's just that Shannon hasn't quite gotten back yeah. to where he was. But in Hawkins' case, yeah, you know, um, I, I said in the preview before the first game that he struck me as, and I've said this about a couple guys around the league, Dante Scott's another one I've mentioned, where it strikes me as similar to Malik Hall where yeah. you see the flashes of potential, you just didn't see the consistency. Well, Hawkins, you know, much like Malik, and I'm going to, you know, last night we'll just kind of <laughs> give him a mulligan for that, but it wasn't it wasn't a total zero performance. But um, much like Malik and, and much like Dante Scott, I think Hawkins, as a, as a fifth-year guy, has, um, or maybe he's only a fourth year, but anyway, as a senior, um, he has found uh, a level of consistency of elevated play and very important for this team because, you know, for all the talk about their size and it's true, he's really the only legit big man from a, from a height perspective that Illinois is regularly playing these days. We'll, we'll talk about Dane danger in a minute. He's falling off cliff. Yeah. I mean, they they gotta have they gotta have missing posters around Shannon <laughs> with that guy's face <laughs> on him because he's not playing. Um, so Hawkins really matters for this team, you know. To give them that, it's great to have all these six seven athletic guys, but they need one guy at least with some real length, and he gives them that. And then offensively, he's just been really really good. the The three point shot has you know was something that was always there as a threat, but his percentages were never great in part because of what you talked about shot selection. He's knocking on the door 40% now. Yeah. Well, he's so 60% against Michigan State. Right. You know, he's three for five and yeah. four for nine from the line yeah. uh, from the field. Uh, so who of those five would you think Michigan State needs, most needs to keep in the gutter? I, I'm going to say Damas. Yeah. Because I think he's, the, he's, he's become their most important player. Terrence Shannon 
is still the guy you'd look at and say, well, that's the guy who's most likely to break out and drop 30 on somebody. Yeah. And he's still fully capable of doing that. And he's capable of busting out of this deep shooting slump and all of that. But to me, Damask has become so integral to the identity of that team offensively because they run so much through him. And and so he's the guy I'm going to pick. All right, moving on to reserves. And Luke Goody, 6'6", junior, is finally healthy this year. Uh, he is averaging 7.1 points a game and 4.2 rebounds a game, shooting 40, 38, and 65. Yeah, but you know his shooting's down a tick from where it was uh, the first meeting, but not by a lot. He's still thirty-eight percent. That's still a guy you got to worry about. And as I've talked about before with him, I think the biggest surprise when he got to Illinois and actually started playing it wasn't the shooting because that's what his reputation was. And he was a guy, by the way, Michigan. There are a couple guys on this team. He's one, and um, and. Uh, uh, Ty Rogers is right, the other yeah, that Michigan true. State actually recruited very seriously. They really wanted Luke Goody. In the toughness that he plays with, he's he's a tough hombre. I mean, um, he battles on the boy. You know, those are good rebounding numbers for a wing. He gets physical. You know, normally guys that have reps as deep shooters, that's not what you expect. And he gives them some grit. So I'm impressed with him. And that that's another thing that's a real positive, even with trying to sort adding Shannon back to the rotation. The other thing that's done is it's extended their rotation a little bit. And having Luke Goody back coming off the bench is a nice thing for them. Then we'll get to Justin Harmon, 6'4", senior transfer from Utah Valley. He uh, was two for four against Michigan State from three in the first matchup in Champaign, averaging 6.3 points a game on 40, 36, and 86. Yeah, and his... His shooting has gone down lately as well. He was shooting in the mid-40s from three when MSU saw them the first time. So I didn't look at his raw numbers over the last four games, but just judging by that dive, um, he's very much in the same position as Terrence Shannon from three in a decline. And so they would obviously like to see that bounce back because um, he's a guy who was one of the key players responsible for Illinois' three-point shooting not being the weakness it had been in recent years, um, or last year at least, I should say. Um, he's So it's important that they get him back and going. And again, having Goody move to the bench, now Harmon is maybe your seventh man. It's lengthening that rotation, which is probably a good thing on balance for Illinois. Then we get to Dre Gibbs, Lahorn, 6'1 freshman, uh, who is now kind of just playing spot duty, 2.8 points a game on 38, 25, and 60 shooting. Yeah, he played two minutes in a 45-minute game against Northwestern. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that that tells you where he's at in their rotation. I think he's, I assume he's a guy they have plans for in the future, assuming they can keep him. I'm always <laughs> in a shoot now. Yeah. But um, he's just not, and again, he's a guy, who's affected by the return of Shannon because all of a sudden, well, you've got Goody, you've got Harmon who can play off the bench as well. You don't need a, a third guard to be coming off that bench necessarily. And so uh, his his role has, has shrunk to the point that it's, it's going to be a couple minutes here or there, and that's probably about it. Speaking of people who have shrunk, Dane Danger, 6'9", big, big post player. Uh, he's averaging nine and a half minutes a game now. And only 5.7 re- 
points in 3.3 rebounds a game, shooting 67% from the floor, 37% from the line. He only played five minutes in the Michigan State game. Uh, in, in yeah. Uh, surprising because he was a, such a big role on that team last year, and then now he's just kind of just vaporized. I mean, I, I, I think I said this before the first game, and it's even it's gotten worse. More the case now. Um, I have got to think that this is a guy who's going to look to get out. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, may, you know, maybe not. Maybe they're going to be able to sell him on, hey, it'll be a different deal next year. Or, you know, maybe he actually buys into the idea that he's got things he's got to work on in order to get minutes, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Dane Danger is a guy who, if, if you were playing him 25 minutes a night, I think you would expect that he could get you maybe in the mid-teens in terms of point production. He's that good as a low post scorer. And he's a pretty good rebounder, too. But he struggles so much from the line, which matters when your big guy plays in the post, you're going to draw fouls. And most importantly, just defensively, it, it just is not working. And that was an issue for them last year. And I think Brad Underwood just clearly made a decision. I'm not going to live with that again. I, I need somebody who can do more than just play in extreme drop coverage. I've got to have more versatility on defense. Um, he rem Danger reminds me so much of Nick Ward. He hasn't produced at the level that yeah, Nick Ward right. did. Um, but boy, his strengths and his weaknesses are so similar. If you remember, Nick Ward was actually a pretty good defender on the blocks. Yes. Yeah. When he was defending in the post, he was pretty good. He blocked some shots. He bodied people. He was pretty effective. Danger, I remember last year at least, was okay around the rim. He just couldn't extend to guard anybody. And Nick had the, – the difference was that MSU didn't just let Nick – didn't just accept, well, you can only play drop coverage. Right. You know, they would still have it, but they'd get exploited because of that. Illinois, it was, okay, you got to play – you got to shack this stuff. And it it led to a lot of problems in terms of giving up open good open looks. Um, like Nick, he's not great when you bring help, which I think is also one of the reasons that Illinois probably downgraded him in their rotation is they figure he gets an automatic double and he's not great making teams pay for that. But man, it, you know, what's available to him was not available to Nick Ward. And I've got to think that, he's a prime candidate to get the hell out and go somewhere where they're just going to say, you know what? We'll live with your flaws. Go get us 15 and eight. Well, he does only shoot 37% from the line, but you know, do free throws really matter? We'll go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go on to the next segment with the brought to you by the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids and the Michigan state player that cleans the glass best. The squeegee squad, uh, Grand Rapids will obviously in Grand Rapids, but they'll clean your windows. They'll do power washing your house not only your house, they can work in your high rise. Maybe you've got a couple apartment buildings. Maybe you've got a business. They'll do that as well. They can do just about any job, big or small. They'll come out and give you a free estimate. You get 15% off. You mentioned rebound the estimate. Uh, they've done my house. They did fantastic work. Very meticulous, super nice guys. And they'll come out any weather pretty much. So it's pretty remarkable that these people are out there grinding it when it's, you know, sub <laughs> freezing weather. Uh, they will, um, you can find the contact information at the final four, not the schedule.com 
slash support. And you get the link for a contact uh, to get an estimate. All right, so it's currently five to three and a half. You're up on me. I get to pick first this time. Madi Sissoko had 10 rebounds last game, and I I think it'd be foolish not to pick Madi for this game. And hopefully has the same rebounding <laughs> performance because I've I, I've uh, only gotten half a point to your five so far. I mean, you just said you're killing me. Yeah, well, they they need that kind of performance out of Madi, as we'll talk about in a minute. Um, I'm going to keep it extremely predictable <laughs> and take Malik Hall. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's go on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Uh, also, Nudge Printing, one of the other offshoot businesses they have is Fabricated Customs. And if you ordered through our store, and I know a number of you did, uh, you, that's who we use, the Fabricated Customs at FabricatedCustoms.com. Uh, there you can, they'll set up a store in which they can either do your design or if you have a design for uh, that you can provide them. They will provide whatever you want as far as apparel. Uh, they can also, you put on other stuff like uh, they can make stickers or they can do um, embroidered things. If it's embroidered sort of um, uh, logo that would work in embroidered stand for, they can do that as well. And then you just tell them what you want. They open the store for two weeks. Everyone orders what they want. They pay what they want. Uh, and then you can set the price for however you like. And then they'll ship it and do all that stuff for you. There's really almost nothing you have to do. <laughs> it's so simple. And so if you have a corporate event, a family event, you're doing a fundraiser for school, something like that. Fabricated Customs should be your place to go because it's getting the same high quality uh, apparel that you get with their regular stuff at the nudgeprinting.com. Uh, so if you go to nudgeprinting.com, you can still get the 20% off you mentioned Final Four. That's just one word on the coupon code at checkout. So check it out or at Fabricated Customs if you want to do some custom stuff. All right, so five keys game. Number one, rebounding. Mentioned that it, Illinois, fantastic out offensive rebounding team. Michigan State did a great job against Illinois in the first match, which is what drives us crazy because they actually have shown that they can do it against really good teams. Yeah. They actually out-rebounded Illinois 37-34. Uh, they prevented Illinois to just 25% offensive rebounding rate, which is really good. So, got to do it again, I guess. Yeah, look, I, I would say it's pretty close to mandatory. They, they don't have to necessarily be quite as good. They limited, as you said, Illinois to a 25% offensive rebounding rate. That's outstanding. Uh, even more so when it's against a team that really, really rebounds well at that end. Um, I think it matters at both ends, but it's most important that Michigan State limit the second chances Illinois gets. You know, that this is this is a good enough offensive team, even with kind of the questionable three-point shooting they've had lately. It's It's a good enough offensive team as it is. You can't give them regular second chances. It'll just kill you. So we've seen MSU rise to the occasion and do the job against good rebounding opponents. The first Illinois game in Champaign was a prime example of that. We need to see it again. Yeah, and actually, surprisingly, that game as well, Michigan State had a 30-some percent offensive rebounding rate themselves and against a good defensive rebounding team. Yeah. So, boy, that would certainly right. help getting some extra shots as well. It would be great. It would be great, and that would be a bonus if MSU could get it going at its offensive end. But the, the part that strikes me as most critical is MSU as a defensive rebounding team. Sure. Second key to the game is keep them on the perimeter. Obviously, Illinois has been deadly inside the arc. They're getting the hole. They just yeah. torched Michigan State in that uh, first matchup. Felt like it. And they got a lot of foul calls as well. They had they shot 23 free throws, which is somewhat reflective yeah. of them getting in, inside. So, And they're not a great outside shooting team. Again, you know, remember that you're now facing them with Shannon, who also yeah, well, is the best <laughs> that they've got in terms of ability to take 
take things off the dribble and get to the rim and finish. So it's even more to the point. MSU has got to be solid. They've got to do a good job of squaring up their guy on the perimeter. Help defense has got to be, you know, on a string. Rotations have to be good. But I think that the biggest thing here is if you have a choice, you would live, you'd rather live with Illinois taking a lot of jumpers. In the first game, they were 7 for 21. So 33% from three, which is pretty close to what they shoot on the year. At the time, it was a little under what they shoot for the year. This year, or, or this game, it's right about on point. They're like 33.8 or 33.9. Um, could you get killed? Could Illinois Is Illinois capable of going, you know, 10 for 22 from three? Sure. Absolutely they are. You know, it, it, when you're playing good opponents, you understand coming in, you're not going to take everything away. You just can't do it. So what you choose to take away tends to be the most important thing. And then making sure that when you make that choice, that you're actually able to execute it. So to me, as I look at this game, that's that's where I go. I would, I would rather see Illinois with a little bit of an inflated number in terms of three-point attempts because that's going to tell me that they weren't able to get the ball inside as much as they like. And the third key to the game, pace. So we've mentioned this a number of times recently, Michigan State just having to play fast, and they really that's what they really got killed with uh, in Minnesota the other night where they just were so slow getting Look, to their sets. I, I give them a pass, as we did here, for the Maryland game because Maryland is an outstanding defensive team. They do that to a lot of people. Right. So, okay. Last night's game, no excuse. And that's that's on everybody. That's not just the point guard. Might be primarily the point guard, but it's not just the point guard. Um, they can, and again, this is a team, as I mentioned at the outset, they do a very good job of turning you into a one-on-one team offensively. That cannot be the way Michigan State plays. It does, it does not cut to their strengths. They have guys who are capable of making one-on-one plays at times. Tyson Walker can do it. Jay Nakins can do it. Malik can do it. AJ can do it. All those guys are capable of doing it, but that is not the best brand of basketball for Michigan State right. to play. So what's your best antidote to that? Playing with pace, playing with purpose, cutting, moving, screening, doing all of that efficiently and quickly. And the fourth key of the game, one we haven't seen for quite a while, but it's back, and that's AJ. I think we talked about it last night that that was an issue. Um, But if anything, the more I thought about it, certainly after seeing Tom Izzo's post game where he was... (laughs) as Graham Couch put it, as angry as he's been in several years. And and I get it. I think that's how most people felt. I think of anything we probably undersold. We talked about AJ not playing well. Yeah. But it it was Izzo rightly, I think, zero and he didn't mention him by name, I don't think, but it was very clear where he was at. Um the decisions that got made I would say one thing we did talk about, and I think was obvious to anyone watching the game, was where the turning point came. You're up nine, Tyson Walker gets hurt, and you go on just a terrible dry spell. Yeah. 
And if you look, if you look at the shots that Michigan State got in that period, I think you can put a lot of that on the point guard. And look, it's no mystery, right? We've been saying this for <laughs> how long? Year. He's not their best player, but he's pretty inarguably their most important. When he doesn't play well, it's hard for them to win. Yeah. And, you know, the problem you've got now, as opposed to earlier in the season, if 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 Jeremy Fears had not had what happened to him happen to him, um, I think I saw, I think it was Jim Comperoni mentioned, he said if Jeremy Fears was healthy and had been playing all on everything, he would bet that he would have got, he would get the start on Saturday mm -hmm. against Illinois. And I think he's dead on with that. They don't have that option anymore. Yes, they could start Trey Holloman, but I, I, I don't know that that's the same thing. I, I just think they're, they're in this position where they got to live with AJ. Yeah. There just aren't that he's, even if you started Trey, you're not going to play AJ 15 minutes. No, no. You can't. It's just a statement. You can't. Yeah. To say he has to be better is really, really, really understating the argument. You know, he's he's just got to be a key guy for them making the right decisions and making everybody else better. I mean, I just think the shot selection, the execution, all of that was just not even close to the level it needs to be at. And the fifth and final key to the game is the response after that Minnesota game. Yeah, I mean, I, I really have the sense that everybody, the team, coaching staff, the fan base for sure, just had the wind knocked out of them by that loss. And, you know, in some ways it's a little bit unfair because Minnesota is now 6-5 and five in the league. Yeah. We can all say, well, it's a terrible team. You shouldn't lose to them even on the road. But you know, if you want to get down to brass tacks in terms of how this is, how this is viewed, let's say by the various metric systems, I took a look at where Michigan State sits in the net and in Ken Palm. That loss didn't hurt them. <laughs> yeah, it really didn't. Now, I'm not saying that as an excuse, like oh, people should be accepting of this. No, 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 no. That was a game. It was very winnable. They were in control of, and they let slip away. And they played poorly in doing it in a number of ways. All true. So no excuse making here. I'm just saying maybe the apocalypse talk is a tiny bit unwarranted. But but here's the thing. Now you got a game against Illinois on Saturday. Very, teams played very, very well this season, better than I ever thought they would. Um, but that has proven they're legit. They're coming into your building. You had a chance to beat them at their place and you let it slip away, but you were there. You lost by three. You were in it. Um, so you know you can compete against them. Yes, they have Shannon back, but as we've said, that doesn't necessarily mean they're markedly better overall than they were in that first game. Um, you have an opportunity. You can beat this team at home for sure. Michigan State can win this game. I would venture to say that if they play at the level they're capable of, they should and will win this game. But they actually have to do it. And 
it's going to take a a response mentally and physically because Illinois will bring it physically. We talked about the way they rebound, their size, their overall size as a team, their mentality. You gotta you gotta step up and answer the bell when you're playing a team like this. So can they do that? Will they do that? I you know I think that this is this is a very big game and it's a very big game not because winning it or losing it is critical for your NCAA tournament hopes or anything like that. I don't buy into that. I don't think that's true. But it is going to tell you something about I think where this team goes for the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, and you also want this just to be a one a one loss one you know one off loss right and you don't want a streak started going on the road night. for two more games that's right you want to reestablish momentum quickly put a bad loss behind you and feel like you're back on track and so in a way this is a good opportunity you know you're not playing michigan at home or Rutgers right. at home you know it's it's a game that's got some juice to it and it's an opponent that I'm sure they respect. And so the opportunity's there. If you can win this game and you respond the way that you should to what happened in Minneapolis, then, then that's going to mean something. you know. So it's good in a way that they've got this particular game on the docket right after that, you know, that unfortunate outcome last night. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, it, just a reminder again, if you want to support the show, you can head on over to our support page at the final force on schedule.com slash support. If you're not yet subscribed to the show, please subscribe on your podcast player or follow on, uh, on us on YouTube or subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can find us on Twitter at, at TFF IONTS 68, or you can find us at, uh, YouTube at, at TFF IONTS. Again, to continue sharing with your friends and family and colleagues. We really appreciate it. The show continues to grow despite this struggling season. This is a season that I think both of us think there's a lot of opportunity, uh, although it has been a frustrating in many, in different ways at different parts of the season. But uh, it's, it's also, you know, it's barely February. So what we look for most in Michigan State is a run in March. And, um, you know, especially at this point, the Big Ten is kind of, is well, not kind of, it is out of the question at this point. So it's just now a matter of, of getting right for the postseason. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go Green.